0: Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Market view on Money FM 89.3. Asia Pacific markets are trading higher this morning on the back of overnight gains on Wall Street. Joining me now as we break down all the market action, the man behind the dividend Titan finance blog that we love so much, Willie Kang, how are you this morning?
1: Hey, good morning, Michelle. Hey, you know, I. I was watching on your YouTube on Read and Doctor Gladys was amazing, hundred and two years old. And learned so much from her and your conversation with her. Oh,
0: it's always <laughs> great to meet a reader in the studio and Willie King people. <laughs> is super literate.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Learning from the master here, looking across the table.
0: (laughs) Well, I'm glad you enjoyed that conversation with Dr. Gladys McGarry, 102 years old. It was a great honour to meet her. We begin this morning with a Singapore-listed REIT that is making headlines over the value of its assets in the United States. Manulife US REIT offers investors the chance to reap their rewards or risks of being landlord of their 11 office properties in half a dozen US states. Manulife US REIT's manager Though are dealing with a sharp decline in the value of the company's portfolio, which fell nearly fifteen percent during the first half of the year. Company officials say they are quote surprised by the size of the drop. What do you think? I mean, shouldn't they be on top of how much their portfolio
1: is worth, Willie? Really? Yeah, I mean I'm I'm surprised as well. I mean, you if you look at this, portfolio valuations were down fifteen percent, and it was really because of the higher discount rates and terminal cap rates. I mean, for management, when it comes to looking at portfolio valuations, they use usually employ independent advisors to actually look through some of these evaluations and they will probably know, you know, roughly how much all these estimates or value would be worth because they know the numbers, right? How much rental income they're going to get, the occupancy rate, you know, when the debt the leases are going to be due. So they have some estimates. So there's something which I was surprised that they were surprised about the numbers here.
0: All that surprise warranted, I think. The drop in Manulife US REIT's portfolio is apparently due to several factors, including weak occupancy. It could also be facing a tax issue. Manulife US REIT will likely report a loss for the first half of the year. So what do you make of the state of uh, Manulife
1: US REIT's business? I think this is a very tricky tricky situation here for live Read. I mean, this is one of the very high quality assets last time where you have, you know, good um, commercial properties in the US, but that has sort of came down after COVID. You can see occupancy rate across some of their 11 properties, they have came down to about 86%. And really because there's actually a structural shift from people working in the office, now, you know, going to hybrid, into working from home. And there are a lot of big companies, including TCW Group, one of the biggest financial firms in Manulife Read, They are also looking to exit the space in one of their big towers. So this is actually one of the key moments or highlights where Manulife Read sort of struggles to try to lock in new tenants going forward. And as a result, you see occupancy rate is at 86%. Populate, uh, the portfolio valuation is also down and this sort of pushed their aggregate leverage or their gearing ratio to beyond 50% right now is at 57%.
0: Fantastic overviews with the numbers there, Willie. Manulife US REIT units are currently trading just shy of 17 cents. They are down more than 40% since January and off 70% over the past year. Do you think Manulife REIT is, US REIT, is ripe for bargain hunters? <laughs> or would you stay away from it the way you did with SIA? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Michelle, this, you, have, you have always put me in a spot here for opportunities <laughs> on radio. But this this is the interesting thing, right? Okay. If you look at Manulife US REIT, there are really two ways to look at it. Yeah. Either you're a long-term um, holder or buyer of REIT properties, looking at high-quality assets. Then this is something you might, You know, want to stay away from because number one, you you have really no idea what they're going to do going forward with the current you know portfolio valuation, how they're going to sell. Management has also said that you know if they're going to sell down one of their big properties, which is FIPs, it might not be able to use all the proceeds to reduce the gearing down to below 50 percent. So that could be a bit tricky for conservative investors who want some long-term dividend income. But on the other hand, you know if you're someone who is more exciting as an investor, you know somewhat more what I call an Intelligent speculator here, then maybe manual Life Read could be interesting. You could be like one of those distressed debt or voucher investors coming in to look at assets which are the distress, meaning that you are looking at some of these assets which are priced at a huge discount from what they are truly, truly worth. Because if you are one of those intelligent speculators, then you will think, hey. Life US Read is, at the end of the day, a high quality read with a high quality sponsor, right? I mean, Life uh, brand itself is a high quality name. So there could be some white knight or some kind of external investors coming in to help out to manage the read itself. So if you are on that, the other side of, of this camp then maybe this could be something interesting if you see live US read their price to book ratio is roughly about 30% of what they are worth today which means that there could be a potential upside there although you know we do have to take note of some of the risk involved
0: Are you an intelligent speculator? <laughs> You're going to have to decide that for yourself <laughs> Let's turn to the US Willie, really, where bank earnings have been in focus uh, since the weekend really The directors of Bank of America are smiling today but those at the retail brokerage Charles probably not so much. And over at Morgan Stanley, well... Their wealth management division is likely to be uh, breaking out the champagne. But their investment desk colleagues are looking to see how they can do better. Let's take a look at the numbers. BOA is reporting a 19% jump in second quarter profits. Morgan Stanley's wealth management unit also reporting double-digit growth, though profits at the bank overall dropped 13%. And Charles Schwab is reporting a 28% decline in net income. What stands out for you when you look at these numbers, really?
1: Maybe I will just sort of stand out a bit from a bus eye view because it was interesting months back. People were just talking about a U.S. regional banks, you know, going to a huge crisis. But here, you know, we are looking at a different story by the market. It seems that like the market is pretty happy on what the banks are reporting. You have what well, you say Bank of America reporting great results. Morgan Stanley, despite um, the poor investment banking and trading revenues coming down, uh, they still actually report, uh, their shares also still continue to go up and at the same time, Swap as well. But what was interesting here was despite uh, some of these three banks where they tend to hold very long-term bonds, you know, a couple of months back, people were talking about the risk of holding some of these long-term bonds because when interest rates go up, some of these long-term bonds, the value of these long-term bonds will actually go down. So if you sell it before these bonds mature, then you might actually suffer a loss. And these three these three banks, including Swap, which is a discount brokerage, they all own some of these long-term maturity. Bonds, But yet at the same time, they are still reporting pretty good, decent results. Morgan Stanley stood out because their performance wasn't as good as the other two financial firms. But the CEO came out said, saying that, hey, you know, it seems like the worst is sort of over and they are actually looking at a more optimistic performance going down for the year ahead. And another thing for Bank of America is that because I personally look at financials and what was interesting for me is that despite Bank of America's um, credit provisions from their long-term bond losses, their unrealized losses, they still have managed to record pretty good profits and revenues.
0: While Charles Schwab's results appear to be the worst of three banks, you are right, still better than expected. Charles Schwab enjoyed their biggest one-day gain, their shares, in more than three years overnight, jumping more than 12% overnight. Morgan Stanley rose (coughs) 6.5%. Bank of America finished up 4%. So,
1: you know I have to ask this question, is this a good time to invest in U.S. big banks? Okay, Michelle, I will give you the straight answer. <laughs> I love financials. I love banks primarily because I used to be from the banking sector. So looking at some of these banks, actually, would, it's sort of close to home here because this is something which I can understand and this is something which is within what I feel that I am relatively comfortable with. Mm. So if you look at banks, the thing which I will always pay attention to is always value because banks like REITs, I will be looking at the financial assets, what they're worth, the value of these financial assets and the quality of it. Then I'll compare to the price of some of these bank shares and if you look at Charles Swap um, Bank of America and Morgan Stanley some of them they are actually providing some very decent value right now and for me personally I am invested in some of these US banks well you have to actually look at my blog to actually find out more
0: though. <laughs> <laughs> Product placement there. The strong bank results plus enthusiasm over the promise of how AI may boost the future corporate profits gave Wall Street a real boost overnight. The Dow Jones industrial average rose 1%. The Nasdaq and S&P 500 each rose about three quarters of a percent. Let's turn from equities. For a moment, I want to take a look at currencies. The US dollar trading at a 15-month low against other major currencies. You. Uh, We've been talking about this here in the studio. With US interest rates still rising, Willie, why is the greenback still in the doldrums?
1: Mm. I think one interesting thing to note is even though interest rates has gone up and you know how the Federal Reserve has actually pumped interest rates higher, but at the same time, the market is sort of expecting that interest rates is going to peak, mm. which means that there could be what I call a flight of capital from the safer havens to sort of the riskier assets in this case, where you are looking at money flowing from some of these dollar assets, US dollar assets, going to some of these emerging markets where the interest rates could possibly be much higher than what the Federal Reserve interest rates is right now. And number two, because of the high interest rates, it also means that the global economy is sort of chugging along pretty well, which means that a lot of investors or the market is sort of planning to say, hey, let's look at something more risky. Let's look at something where there's a much higher yield. And that's why if we look at it from a capital flow perspective, money is flowing from dollar perhaps to the emerging markets. And that's why that could be um, the dollar is down, you know, against a basket of currencies over the past few months or even since last year.
0: Okay, so you mentioned capital flows, maybe looking for greater risk for greater returns, of course. So I have to ask if you're a currency bull or bear. And uh, which currency would you be looking at to hold instead of the US dollar if you're a bear?
1: Michelle, you know, as a Singaporean, right? For me, it's always the Singapore dollar because really? it's ridiculously strong. I uh. mean, if you compare it to the pound, the euro, the dollar, the, the Singapore dollar has sort of stand out on its own. And really mm. because M- M- MAS has a pretty good um, stable policy framework on managing their currencies. And at the same time, you know, we have sort of a good um, corporate governance framework Um Company framework and, you know, the economy, even though it's a relatively open economy, but at the same time, you know, you have the government controlling the currency pretty well.
0: All right. Nice pick, Willie. Time for corporate news. We do it up or down style. Let's open the books and tell me what's on your books when you look at Gunting.
1: Mm. So what strikes up to me as Genting is really the reopening story. Um, I see Genting Singapore, if you see its casinos are really coming back. Um, Of course, we are really waiting for the tourists from China to come in to sort of support um, the entire industry here. So Genting Singapore, uh, even though the shares are down, but the potential outlook over the next 12 to 18 months uh, could be a positive note for me. So this is an up.
0: Yeah, I join you there. Gunting has put a waterfront property in Miami on the market. Now, initially it was going to build a casino on that 15 acre parcel, but it's selling it instead for at least 1.2 billion US dollars. And that, by the way, is more than five times what Gunting paid when it bought that property some 12 years ago. I'd say it's a pretty good return. So an up definitely for Gunting. How's Twitter looking? And do you tweet?
1: I do tweet do. sometimes, okay. sometimes, but I tend to just follow the people which I tweet. Um, okay. I think it's actually very interesting to see all the little gossips here and there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Is Twitter down or up on your books?
1: I mean, if you see for Twitter, was hit with the second lawsuit uh, this month um, with respect to its severance pay to its ex-worker. And this really came on the back where Elon Musk also recently said that Twitter's ad revenue was down and cash flow is negative. So this is a down and another down for me.
0: Yeah, definitely a down. So some backstory here to that severance issue. Elon Musk fired most of Twitter's workers in Africa last year and still has not paid them any severance despite promising to do so. Um, so Elon, what are you doing? Not only are you breaking Ghanaian law, it's just a bad look You're one of the world's richest people Pay severance I'm going to give Twitter a down as well And now he's going <laughs>
1: on to the boxing ring with Zuck, right?
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, let's see how that happens I suspect somebody's <laughs> ear is going to get bitten off Let's look at Microsoft Up or down?
1: Mm, Well, this is actually quite amazing. I mean, shares actually jumped 4% and close at a record close to $360. Uh, This is an up for me because it's really riding on the back of its new Microsoft 365 Artificial Intelligence Subscription service. And it's also starting to, yes, roll out to a couple of hundreds of companies. And they will actually add this service to its popular office products, which is your Word, Excel, and Teams. And this could increase the revenue by another $30 per month and also increases prices for its enterprise customers by as much as 83%. So, definitely an up for me.
0: Yeah, it's exciting, that piece of news. So, Microsoft preparing to launch its new set of AI tools for the office, and they come with a hefty charge, 30 US dollars per user. The product is called Microsoft Copilot and it uses data from the internet as well as a company's own internal information. Investors love the sound of it. Microsoft shares rose 4% overnight. What a beautiful chart for this year. They're up 50% since the beginning of the
1: year. Come for Dell Grow, Willie. Mm this is an up um, Comfort DelGro back to back has been bagging new contracts and this this one this new one is also the same it is a six years contract to operate rail services in France and this is actually the second overseas rail operations contract that Comfort DelGro has secured um, two years ago he has awarded a contract to operate rail services in New Zealand so this is definitely an up for me number one you have the reopening story from the pandemic uh, things are coming back people are taking the public and private transportation um, transport again, Comfort Delgro at the same time you see taxi services are coming back alive. So on one hand, while they have to actually um, compete against with some of the uh, transport app, but at the same time, you know, this some of these contracts could be a good tailwind for their revenue.
0: Yeah, so congratulations, Comfort Delgrove. They've won a six-year contract to operate Paris's rail services. This is, by the way, the company's first foray into France, and so, and up in my book. Okay, I mentioned this in the news, so if you were listening, you'd get a clue as to whether it's up or down. The Singapore passport, how's it looking? Down? <laughs>
1: no, I'm just joking. The other way. <laughs> Michelle. <laughs> oh. oh, my gosh. Look, Michelle, I just renewed my passport. <laughs> and, you know, the, the the only thing down for me was because they rejected my IC photo. Maybe oh, because I wasn't handsome enough.
0: Oh, no, <laughs> but, no, that can't be it. I'm sorry to yeah. hear that it was onerous.
1: But anyway, this is an up for me because Singapore has replaced Japan as the country with the world's most, most powerful passport today. And this was um, according to the latest ranking published by the Henley Passport Index. And I'm... You know, to be honest, Michelle, when I travel, I'm really proud to be a Singaporean because every time when I show this passport, I know that for sure that I can get across security pretty safely or smoothly. Yeah, and all I
0: have to do is worry about fiddling with my thumb for the thumbprint <laughs> <laughs> to get
1: back into Singapore.
0: Uh, but wonderful. So Singapore, the most powerful passport in the world now, according to the Henley Passport Index, which means we can obtain visa-free entry to 192 destinations around the world. Let's go. I'd say that's an up for the red passport. All right, for our last word, we're going to travel to Shanghai, where the iconic London department store Harrods is opening a new price- private members club the first of its kind outside the UK the annual dues start at around $27,000 i'm kind of struck by the timing of this announcement on the one hand we have news that china's economy is still struggling to get back to its pre-pandemic strength shall we say and yet here we have a british club Uh, in Shanghai, catering to maybe a niche market, perhaps? What do you think? Would you sign up, Mr. Willy?
1: Well, if I have the money, I'll definitely pay for this. I mean, why not? You get really nice, fancy Gordon Ramsay restaurants, private dining rooms, lounge, outdoor terrace. And like what you say, Michelle, Mm. um, you know, China is right now going through a pretty tough time. But at the same time, you have this British luxury retailer taking on the consumer spending, which I think on one hand, if you see it kind of helps the economy some bit because this sort of helps to ride on the whole reopening in China because while over the last two years you have all this bad news about the tech sector clampdown, the property debt cycle crisis, this sort of comes at as a bright spot for China, which I think it not too bad.
0: Yeah, and perhaps flashing the resilience of uh, the wealthy Chinese. It's a beautiful setting, I have to say. It's called The Residence, opening in the second half of this year on the second floor of Cha House in uh, central Shanghai. Really gorgeous. Willie Kang is the author of the Dividend Titan Finance blog. It is compelling reading. Willie, thank you for being with us this morning.
1: Thank you, Michelle.